What's going on, man? Oh, not much. I'm uh, I've been in Northern Westchester for the last six months. Okay. Yeah, where are you at? I'm back in Brooklyn. I was uh, I went to Maine for well, I was in the South Pacific for four weeks or five weeks, and then I got back on March 16th, and then I went to Maine on like the 17th. And I was there for a month. Then I went to the Catskills for six weeks, and then Montana for two months, and now I'm back in uh back in New York. Wow, man, you have uh, been all over the place. It's kind of awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just felt like there was uh, there wasn't much reason to be here in the city. And my friend, uh, she works at a hospital and she lives with her parents who are high risk. And so she needed a place. And so she stayed at my place and I just it made it easy. I just stayed out of the city. Wow. It, I mean, it sounds like, you know, it, it ended up being really the right move, right? Yeah. I mean, the other thing that I'm like, you know, the other things I, 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 enjoy doing other than jujitsu are, are surfing and fly fishing. So I was surfing in, uh, in, uh, Pompeii and Micronesia and then, uh, and Hawaii. And then I, I was fly fishing around, you know, the, the Northeast and the, you know, the, the out West, I guess, in Montana. I remember you mentioning surfing. I feel like, uh, I don't know, maybe like in my first year at Marcello's, we were chatting a little bit and you were talking about, surfing a lot and being from Santa Cruz and everything. They, it seems like jujitsu and, um, and surfing kind of go together very nicely. Right. Yeah. I think they complement each other. Well, especially now that, uh, I guess maybe I don't train so hard in jujitsu. Like, right. I mean, I still train hard, but, uh, but the, the, when I was, you know, the twice a day training and like just really focused on competition or, or keeping up with the competitors, I feel it makes my body pretty stiff and yeah. isn't super complimentary for surfing. But right now I feel like I'm in a good blend of training and, and uh, doing a lot of breath work and, and, and surfing. Yeah, my body's been feeling really good for the last, for, since quarantine started. <laughs> I, uh, I also think that there's something about like surf culture and jujitsu culture that are very similar too, would you agree? Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, and I mean, especially the, I'm just going to change my angle here so I can plug my phone in. It doesn't lose battery. Uh, I think like also that that it does, they are similar or complementary, but also like, you know, so many of the the first wave of uh, jiu-jitsu teachers that came to the States were surfers. Uh -huh. And uh, so they kind of went to, you know, surf towns and a lot of the first wave of students were surfers and kind of perpetuated that way as well. Uh -huh. uh, you know, like the, the, basically the coast in, in California was really like the, the first epicenter of, of jujitsu in the, in the States. So, you know, Southern California, but then, uh, Claudio Franza was, uh, my, my first instructor was he's in Santa Cruz where I'm from and, Frangina was in Santa Barbara and Half was in uh, San Francisco. So, uh -huh. uh, yeah, that was like kind of the first expansion. And now, I mean, there's great jujitsu everywhere, basically. But what, so like how, how long then has jujitsu been like, uh, like in the United States and how long has it been like, I guess, at the popularity that it's at now? Like, I mean, I feel like it, it, a lot of it is attributed to UFC, right? 
Yeah, I mean, that's why I got into it. You know, I was at, I wrestled one year in high school, and like we like me and the other guys that were on the the wrestling team would like always watch the UFC tapes and stuff. And uh-huh. I was like, shit, I want to do that. And uh, and then I found out that it was you know there was someone teaching in in Santa Cruz, so I I, I signed up. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know the the. I think Hailson was somewhere in the States, like really early and Horian was teaching, you know, in the garage, like in the, I guess in the late eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think my instructor Claudio started teaching in Santa Cruz in 94. Mm-hmm. So I, it, it was right around like the mid nineties, I think that really kind of got going, but it, it was still felt very like niche, you know, like most people hadn't heard of it or maybe had heard of it through the UFC. I mean, uh, most of the, the, the people who practice like, you know, where I was in Santa Cruz were like surfers and like, you know, work construction jobs and stuff. Right. Uh, so it wasn't really like that, you know, like it, that culturally, you know, there wasn't that scene of, of kind of competitors and kids coming up as much, you know, it was much more, much more niche. Right. It was like subculture. It wasn't even counterculture. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was, kind of pretty on the margin, but I mean, it's awesome too. I mean, it's still awesome too. Like, it's still like that when you, when you travel and you go, you know, you go other places where it's, you know, a little bit behind or not as developed. Like I was surfing in Indonesia last year and mm-hmm. uh, spent a day, taught a class and trained with, uh, with a, a, a school in Jakarta you know, just, I was there and they found out I was there because I think I posted something on social media. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it, it always feels like you have like kind of a circle of friends or people you've known for a long time, like yeah. in where you go in the world. Um, and I mean, it used to feel like that, I think more, more here too, but now, I mean, you know, every, everyone trains pretty much. Yeah. But it's, it's so interesting. Cause to me, like jujitsu has this like barrier of entry kind of like surfing where it's like, even when someone is like really brand new in it, but if you know they're doing it, there's like this mutual respect because you're like, this person's either just like surfing, they're falling and getting their ass kicked left and right, or they're in jujitsu and they're just like getting choked. They're, you know, being, yeah, humble, I mean, you know, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. There's something that like, you know, you like you're sweating together and you know, you're, you can't, you know, you can't really hide who you are when you're, when you're, especially when you're training with the same people, like over and over. And it kind of like, there's a, there's an honesty that, that comes out of that. Right. And it also, it's like this personal investment, right? You have to go and, and invest in your education outside of your time practicing, you know, it's yeah. like, uh, unlike something else where you just like, I don't know, pick whatever the thing is you show up and kind of punch your card and do your hour and then go home this is this this is like it's 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 with you you know i remember having conversations in the in the locker room and people talking about like the youtube videos and like different people's dvds and like reading this and reading that it's a real different kind of educational investment yeah and i think for most i mean i can't speak for for everyone but for a lot of people it's really like the the closest they get to like taking ownership and like really learning a skill, mm-hmm. you know, cause you, like you said, you have to go out and, and get it and, and, and figure things out. Mm-hmm. And just that process of, of 
self-improvement and mastery and, and kind of always showing up as a white belt and which, you know, is, is one of the most, the coolest and most important things about jujitsu is that is, you know, you never master it. It's, it's something that you're constantly studying. I mean, I feel like, I mean, I've been, I've been doing jujitsu, I think like 24 years now, pretty much full time. And wow. I just like have this anxiety, like, you know, I'm, I'm falling behind, which happens like if you don't, if you're not improving, you're falling behind. So right. um, I'm constantly trying to trying to study tape and, uh, and drill and, and train as much as I can. Um, so yeah, it's really like an accessible way to, and then, you know, that, that process I think is pretty easy to replicate and, and reproduce in other aspects of your life and, you know, mm-hmm. in, in your personal life and relationships and your work life, but also just like in, in, you know, getting better at other things. Like I, I approach like fly fishing like mm-hmm. very similar to how I, how I approach jujitsu, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just as an example or surfing, I feel like, you know, I'm, I was never a great surfer. I grew up surfing in Santa Cruz. Uh, I grew up, close to the beach, like walking distance to the beach and, and mm-hmm. would all, would kind of surf before school and after school, uh, growing up and not go to school if the waves were good. But like, I was never, you know, particularly good surfer. Like I think I had kind of the wrong mindset always like, like it, that, that your talent or your ability was really intrinsic. It wasn't something, you know, that you, uh, like I wasn't good at, at like picking one skill and, 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 developing it through trial and error and and mm-hmm. it was just more like you know i want to get the good waves and i want to rip and you know, like whatever i can to do on do my my good move on that wave i think that held me back a lot and jujitsu is like in you know the understanding of your body that you get in, in your mind but like just on how your body works from jujitsu and the processes of dealing with injuries and all of that like i i feel like it's making me much more technical and much more aware and surfing and like the last couple of years where I've been trying to get back into it more because uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, it's not like something that you can do, you know, two or three times a day, like how I, I grew up, mm-hmm. uh, you know, now it takes a lot more planning or trip or, you know, uh, a, a big chunk of time in the morning. So, you know, I can get, get to the beach and surf and get back before, uh, before training starts. But being much more deliberate and approaching, I feel like it's like I'm finally getting a lot more technical, yeah. you know, or, or improving in, in places I've been, you know, wanting to improve for a long time. And, and just that the jujitsu is given, you know, uh, has, has facilitated that. Well, I remember like, um, I think you probably taught a, a lot of the first classes that I remember taking, at least the ones that stood out to me. And I have to say for people who end up listening to this, you know, I was coming up on like three years doing jujitsu when we had to close it when everything closed down and everything kind of at a point where I was like, Oh, I kind of get what's happening around here. Now I feel like it takes multiple years to like grasp like what's going on. Yeah. But I remember taking one of your classes and you said something that made me realize that you were teaching not just techniques, but you were teaching almost like meta techniques or meta skills, like things that kind of transcended when you said this thing, and I'm going to butcher it a little bit, but you were maybe in, it doesn't even really matter the position, but you were just saying, you were like, you paused for a moment. You said, I want you to realize that I'm among all the things that are happening. I'm using every other part of my body as antennas to get information about what 
my opponent is doing. So it was as though you're like, don't get so caught up on this single moment and the perfection of this technique to forget that there's this bigger thing that's happening and you have all these other tools that can be giving you information as well. And that's what made me realize, I was like, oh, like this person's not just thinking about like, here's exactly how you like make the turn on the wave. Like here's like how you read the wave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what language I use, but that's a way or what a language I use there. But that's something that I try to think about a lot is, is uh, you know, because jujitsu, like it only really, like we have a, a strategic picture that exists uh, or, or a strategic idea of the art where we have to manage distance and find initial contact, like, you know, the self-defense, we have to close that, that we have to bridge that space in the pocket where, that, where it's dangerous so we can get to, you know, to our clinches and uh, take the fight to the ground. Uh, and, you know, there's situations where, you know, maybe you're playing guard and you, they, they break your grips and they're running around you. You don't really have contact, but the art really only exists like with that connection. And I mean, that's a, it's a kinesthetic thing, right? Like what we have, we have to be understanding our connection to, to the mat and how our, the shape of our body and the connection to our opponent on the other side and then how those, uh, how that changes. And so, just understanding like how to use your whole body as a, as a sensor and to read all those physical cues that are coming in from your opponent and, and feel the timing of things, right? Because we, mm -hmm. I mean, we have to understand conceptually like what we're doing, where our objectives are, how our body works. And, mm -hmm. but you can get a little lost in, in, in those techniques in, in the, in the technical aspect of it too. And so much of it is the timing and, yeah. you know, the technique is pointing you, you know, it's just a, it's a, you know, kind of didactic way to understand what the art is. And, and so much of that is, is, uh, is timing. And, and you, you kind of only develop that through feel. Like I had an art teacher in college who, who, uh, who Howard Ikimoto is amazing uh, as an artist and as a teacher, but he, uh, he was a painter, but he, uh, you know, he would say like, you can't just focus on the technical skills like in art, like in the beginning, like you have to also work on your, you, you know, uh, on expression and, and like the emotive and, you know, the, the expressive side of, or the creative side mm -hmm. uh, in art. Cause otherwise you, you end up with like all these technical skills, but really like your, your personal expression is hidden behind it. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's something that stuck with me. And I, I try to approach that kind of instruction from, um, from different angles and differently with different people. Um, but just to, just to, to remember that that's like the art, that's what we're doing, right? It's the art of like using that input and using what your opponent's doing against them. Yeah. So we have these like technical maps and we have to understand the objectives. And mm -hmm. uh, we have all these goalposts to kind of understand like the parameters of the technique that we're, mm -hmm. but, but really it, it, it's a feel thing. And you, you have to understand that from the very beginning in, in, in my, opinion yeah i mean at the time i remember not really knowing who was who at the school or like what was what or anything but being somebody who studied movement and teaches movement like hearing that i was like yeah i get it the the technique that he's teaching is really just a vehicle for a sensory experience and that's especially early on where the real information lies yeah that's right yeah and i mean so much of it too is like as you get as you progress it's like it's 
it's managing your emotional experience too, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, and, and learning how to read what your opponent's thinking and where they're at in the fight, uh, mm -hmm. mentally, like through how their body feels, you know, like, like mm -hmm. it's not just like looking in the eyes and trying to like kind of intuit what they're feeling. It's like, you feel someone break, you feel when someone's trying to rest or you feel when someone is pushing, but maybe pushing too hard. And like, those are all things we want to use or against our opponent too. It's not just technically, it's not just we're trying to turn their techniques or their attack against them. We're, we're, we're trying to use their strategy against them, their, their, uh, you know, their emotional state against them too. So it requires a lot of, uh, like a lot of maturity and a lot of, a lot of ability to, to kind of really let go of like your preconceived notion of, you know, of the experience and, and feel what's happening and, and, and use that to, to guide, you know, where you're going in the fight. And, you know, Marcelo, I think a lot of the, the, the best are like that, but, you know, like Marcelo kind of, he doesn't over strategize. He doesn't like to study his opponent's game. Uh, he likes to kind of step onto the mat and have a blank slate and, and see what happens, you know, mm -hmm. and that's, that's something like I respect so much in, in how to approach a fight, you know, and I think that's like an honest way to do it. And it's going to, you're going to see who the best person is rather than like, you know, sticking to the strategy and, yeah, it's up and not letting things happen. Right. The problem is, is like when you're teaching people who are like raised in the West, who are like hyper linear, right. And like inherently, I guess, rigid is the right word. It's a, yeah. it becomes hard for, for, for people who are raised culturally that way to like, be like, Oh wait, I'm there. It's not a straight line. It's like a mosaic. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, and, and the thing is too, you can have, again, you have to tap into like who you are. Right. Like, so yeah. if you're, if you think in that really linear way, you, mm -hmm. I think it's beneficial to, to continue thinking like that, but then, you know, bring in the more, you know, the somatic experience or whatever into, into, uh, into your thinking, but like, you can't just completely change the way you think. I think like the, the practice of the art and, and getting in touch with yourself will change things gradually, you know? So I'm, I'm not like, in terms of teaching, I'm not trying to, uh, I'd rather like try to work with what people are, who they are rather than try to, you know, change, change how people think about things. That's this thing that teachers seem to struggle with, right? Is almost like that they, that they want you to see it through their eyes rather than giving an opportunity for your, you to see it through your own lenses, right? Just like, Hey, here's some things, you know, figure out how you see it through your, you know, funhouse lens. Yeah, totally. You know, and then it's a balance because there's, we can objectively tell if we're getting better in jujitsu because we can tell, you know, if you're getting beat or not, you know what right. I mean? Like right. If you're going to tournaments or you're, you're the same thing keeps happening to you then you you have to realize like what we're doing is not working and, mm -hmm. and, and figure things out so in that sense it's like we have a big leg up on a lot of martial arts where that don't you know don't train every day and don't you know compete in the same way or maybe you can't because it's just not not safe you mm -hmm. know to uh to be you know, using, doing their techniques at full speed and, and jujitsu we can. So we have this like really uh, direct input about what's working and what's not working and, and, mm -hmm. and what we need to do to change. And, and that's where I think like being a coach, uh, like you said, like, you know, we're, we're, 
try to understand how people are seeing it through their lens so they can express what they're doing and maybe they're, you know, uh, mm -hmm. they're going to do something different or better than you, but still try to get them to understand like, you know, the, the, the foundation, you know, the, the, the stuff that's not changing, the stuff that they need to figure, you know, like if they're, someone keeps passing their guard, you, you, you know, you, you want to solve the problem at hand or help them solve the problem at hand with their toolbox. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the other thing that, that I realized that you seem to respect a lot is that everybody's coming at it with their own toolbox and also everybody's coming at it with their own like life experiences behind it. Yeah. And that changes everything. It's not just like, um, you know, anatomy differences. We're talking like mental differences, like you were saying about like some people see things literally and you can't change that. And it doesn't mean that you see it that way, but just like, how do I like, you know, create this, like I said, this vehicle for someone to just start seeing and, and feeling things. Yeah. And, you know, I think like too, just ideologically, I think that, uh, especially as a teacher, you know, I want jujitsu to help like improve the lives of, of, you know, my students or the, the, the group that I'm a part of, I almost don't like really necessarily consider myself a teacher. I'm, you know, I'm a link in the chain of, mm -hmm. in, in part of a bigger uh, group. Right. Uh, and our group isn't all professional athletes, especially here in New York. Like it's, you know, it's for the most part, we're a lot of hobbyists who, um, who are really dedicated hobbyists, right. Who, who, who want to go deep with the art and they want to, get good and but you know they they have kids or they have like a you know a uh really demanded job or something so finding that you know just just training more and and intensity and and you know going uh kind of with your foot on the gas in jujitsu might not be helping in their life right like like i see people who get so addicted to jujitsu that you know they're like neglecting their, their more important responsibilities, you know? So it's kind of, it's kind of trying to, to, to help people negotiate that as well. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm always trying to help push and get people in the Academy more and stay along and stay on the mess. But sometimes it, sometimes it's the opposite too. And you got to tell people they need to take a break or you see someone that's, you know, we see a lot like someone who's in their like earlier mid forties and then they, they got really into it and, they want, you know, they need to put in the hours and their body's just not, not ready for it. And they start getting injured all the time. And, mm -hmm. uh, that, I mean, that's where I, I really start to recommend also like kind of ancillary movement, uh, movement approaches or, and, you know, yoga, whatever, Pilates, breath work, uh, mm -hmm. to help just develop a, a, an awareness of the, of their body, which, which I think you can develop just through jujitsu too, mm -hmm. but at a certain point you can the process of developing that is 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 painful and it's gonna maybe get some people hurt you know right especially for people who like didn't don't have either some sort of athletic background or maybe they even didn't have like a generalist background like as kids and all of a sudden they come in and like you said they're 40 years old and they like go whole hog and yeah they don't know how to play you know what i mean yeah. and i'm not like a I like the reason I'm against like flow rolling, you know, we talk about that sometimes like, you know, Marcel is not a big flow rolling practitioner, but the reason I'm like not a big flow rolling proponent or whatever is I feel like, uh, it, 
it's almost too regimented. Like when people are oh, like, we're going to flow roll or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think just as people, uh, human beings, like we learn so much through, through play, mm-hmm. you know? So like, it's more, I think more about making hard training, like fun and, 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 and enjoyable rather than like just so focused and, and ego driven or objective driven. Like, that's that's what I would consider like flow rolling or, or drilling where you allow things to to happen or or rolling that's competitive but like you're you there's that there's that baseline uh, understanding and like kind of energy in the room where it's fun yeah. and so like you you feel comfortable exploring with your training partner and and it's not like you're just kind of flopping around each other or trying to like each impress the other with what a with a cool move but it's like it's just more organic you Mm -hmm. know uh so it's hard you know if you don't have that that background of like understanding how to play basically yeah how to play with someone how to play with someone else like a, a lot of adults don't maybe maybe more so in our culture i don't know but uh uh yeah i think that just getting someone in like you were talking about like more linear thinking it's like a more linear way of using your body too because so many people are just like sitting in chairs all day and yeah you know thinking a, a particular way so just try to get that to open up and as soon as they have fun and once they get to a certain level then they're kind of can release them into the wild a little bit you know I'm, I'm happy i'm happy that you referred to it as 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 play because i think that given kind of the vibe sometimes when you're in like a jujitsu school, people forget that it is playful, right? It's like every, yeah. every mammal plays, right? Every single one. And when you watch, as you were explaining this and like about, you know, not being interested in flow rolling, if you watch two dogs play in a park, they're not, they're never just like flow playing, right? When they're doing their like aggressive play, they're playing with their hearts out, right? but they end up like the, the bigger, stronger dog meets the smaller, weaker dog, wherever it's at to continue the play. It's not about like ending the play. They want the play to keep going. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that, I mean, uh, I, I was just at a, I got interviewed for a magazine recently, human shift. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was like about, uh, like about power and like what power is. And I had, you know, like this idea of jujitsu, I, I, I was thinking about it, uh, and you know, it's nothing new, but it's like power is control of, of, you know, that really like boils down to self-control. And then you can start to, you know, project that, uh, by controlling your own body and your own mind, you can you know, control someone else's body, et cetera. But I, I, after just like right after that, I can't remember where I think I, I, I think it was a book on the con, the, the psychoanalyst, mm-hmm. but the author said like power is movement and like projection of power is restricting someone else's movement. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so uh, like such a perfect definition, like not just, you know, in, in broader like macro terms or whatever, but like in terms of jujitsu, mm-hmm. like power is being able to move. Like you said, like keep that game going, keep the play going. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and your, our projection of power, how we impose our will and how we, you know, control someone else is by limiting and, and, and taking away their ability to move, you mm-hmm. know, or, or make them move directionally in the way we want them to. So that their, you know, their, their energy, like 
helps drive our movement and we can, we can yield or merge with it. Right. That's like that. Which almost comes all the way back around to like self-control to be able to accomplish that. Absolutely. Yeah. You have to control your, you, you have to be able to control your, your mind to be able to control your, you know, uh, one of the, I used to do a lot of uh, Iyengar yoga and, and w- one of the instructors that I, I would take classes from regularly, uh, Manuso Manos in, in San Francisco or South San Francisco, like his thing would just always be to like yelling, right? And he, he was really like a kind of old school teacher where there'd be a lot of like kind of pushing you into positions or give you a hard slap to kind of shock your body yeah. past the, the point where you're, you're telling yourself that you, you can't go further or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, he was saying like that the, the language you need to use is that you command yourself to do something like mm-hmm. command your, yourself to whatever, uh, do your forward bend or back bend or align yourself in a particular way. So that's kind of the language I tell myself, like when I'm tired or I feel like my body doesn't, doesn't want to move or feel stuck. It's like, you know, after we understand the basics of how to move, but you have to still like command yourself to do it. Right. Uh, it reminds me, I'm, I've, I've been reading um, the, the sutras of Pan, is it Pan, Panjali? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you've, you've read it. Uh, I, I've read a little bit of like the source material, but yeah. you know, I've read that's the been, yeah. 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 That's like one of the sutras is like, you know, controlling the mind. And that's basically all yoga is, right? Is controlling the mind. And, but then he mentions that like any method, like there, you know, all these different methodologies for everything, right? It could be jujitsu, it could be surfing, it could be rock climbing, whatever. But a lot of, in, in religions, but they all kind of come back to this. It really, if you get down to the bottom, it's a lot of the same ideas. And that is kind of the core. And it should, you know, that's kind of where a lot of these things come back to is like, you know, having control of your mind because reality is what's in your mind, not what's necessarily in front of you. Yeah, yeah. That, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so you studied Iyengar for how long? Uh, I think like on and off. I, I mean, I still do some here and there, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I have like a, a home practice, but it's not very, it's not super structured. It's more just like to, to deal with, I've been having some back problems and, and, you know, I have some uh, residual problems with like my knee and stuff. So I, I just do like a, kind of a short sequence a few times a day usually to, to kind of deal with that, like somewhere, somewhere between yoga and physical therapy. But uh, uh, I think I started with an Iyengar teacher when I was like in my late teens. Mm-hmm. And then I've been, I mean, different, you know, differently consistent about it since then. So sometimes I'll go like, I'll be at the Iyengar Institute like, you know, four or five days a week for six months. And then sometimes I don't go for a year, mm-hmm. but yeah. So I don't know, 20 something years with some periods, like a lot, you know, so, a lot more than other. I, I still consider myself kind of, you know, total beginner, but uh, I feel like it's, it's also really kind of shaped the, the language that, or the, the teaching style that I, I, try to emulate in jujitsu and like the just uh just like kind of understanding like not necessarily like anatomical terms i i I, sometimes i do teach anatomically but i try not to get too attached to it i think more and i try to teach more experientially like like give people reference points like where their head is in relation to their hand or uh 
kind of like different feelings that they should try to create in the body. You know, like as you get higher level in Iyengar, they talk a lot about uh, like one of the descriptive terms in teaching is like around movement of the skin because our skin is our biggest sensory organ and it can be, it can be hard to access like, you know, your particular muscles, especially ones that we're not so used to, to engaging, you know, mm-hmm. that are not so, so a, a better access point for people is to like think about like their skin moving in one direction or another and mm-hmm. you know your muscles are going to be what's driving that movement so mm-hmm. uh like just the just the just the language around movement and stuff I've, I've taken a lot i think from my anger yoga in terms of how i teach like just even talking about like your front body and your back body or your side body or like your armpit chest or whatever rather than like talking about I think a lot of people make teaching overcomplicate teaching, uh, and a, a, a easy way to to overcomplicate teaching and to make yourself try to sound smart is just by like starting to name anatomical terms all over the place, and it doesn't right. it doesn't help the student at all, you know. So no, uh, they're just, they're just think, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say you don't need to know medical anatomy to be good at something and know how to move your body, you know. If anything, yeah. it can get in the way. <laughs> hey, I mean, listen, there were like Tai Chi teachers 2000 years ago who didn't, there was no name for a bicep or, or glutes or anything. It was just like, it was all one thing. Yeah. And you're creating, you're, and you're helping like whatever language you're using, you're helping your students create like this men- mental map of, of how to, of how they're commanding their body to move. Right. And how they're moving it. Uh, so I, I think the language is important, but like, I think that the goal is to always to simplify things as much as possible, make things as, as, uh, as accessible as possible. Like, mm-hmm. so you give kind of some cues mm-hmm. about like a feeling or like alignment cues, and then also make things as if possible, as specific, but as open-ended as, as, as so that, so that they can be kind of like entry points where if, if the student or, you know, starts to use those frames of reference they're gonna they're gonna discover like a lot more that's there where as the teacher you you kind of understand that they're going to figure things out on their own but it's better if they do it themselves rather than if you go over and say like now this now that now you know like like you kind of make things as broad and as general as possible that's going to get people going down the right path and if you because otherwise you're, you're kind of limiting their ability to to create variations and to adapt things to their own body and right. you know, et cetera. So I, I try to be really mindful of that, of that language of, of, of being descriptive, being adequately descriptive and, and instructive, but, but not being overbearing and, and right. you know, well, that's why I always feel like some of the best uh, teachers or people who, whatever educators in any way, or even people who are just trying to explain complex systems speak in analogies and speak in stories, right? Like, I feel like we've done that for forever because we realize that like people understand story really well. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I mean, for me, I've just always, uh, uh, I mean, I feel like I've been really lucky that I was exposed to great teachers, like not even in jujitsu, like outside of, outside of jujitsu. So, I mean, I remember from, you know, even being pretty early, early on in jujitsu when I was like 17 or starting or something, I'd have like some great teacher in college or 
or whatever that I'd, I'd be like, why can't, why can't someone teach jujitsu like that? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, and so I've been, I, I try to get a lot of influence from my own teaching from outside of jujitsu too. You mm-hmm. know, like, uh, uh, I had a great gyrotonic teacher that helped me a lot when I was recovering from shoulder surgeries and knee injuries. So, uh, just in terms of how she described movement, I've tried to, you know, take from her. I had a psychological anthropology teacher that was really brilliant in, in uh, at UC Santa Cruz that I've tried to, you know, steal from him and uh, from uh, another art teacher. So I've, I've you know, uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to kind of figure out mm-hmm. something, things that work, you know, yeah. even if it's interdisciplinary and try to introduce that into jujitsu as much as I can. What did, what did you study in college? Uh, I think I ended up, I was in college forever because I like didn't know what I wanted to do. And like mm-hmm. I was, uh, I, I moved back from New Zealand and was going to community college in Santa Cruz. And so mm-hmm. I was just like doing art classes and, uh, you know, chipping away at my, my, uh, the general stuff. And then I, I was pre-med for a year or two. And then I switched to cultural anthropology or medical anthropology. So that's what I have my degree. Well, I only have an undergraduate degree. Right. Um, Interesting. And were you teaching jujitsu like early on? I was, yeah. I mean, just out of necessity too, because my first coach, I had like a deal worked out with him and I was starting pretty early, I think when I was a blue belt, Mm -hmm. uh, or I I teach at one of his affiliate schools like one day a week in exchange for for free training at the academy. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, so I was teaching. And then if he, you know, if the waves were good or something and he didn't come in to teach, then sometimes... excuse me, I would teach. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I started teaching as a blue belt. So 2000 ish, something like that. Yeah. I remember I, I, so I talked to Dan Koval like two months ago and he was yeah. saying that he started teaching pretty early as well. And it was because he wanted to be better at jujitsu. He was like, I realized the way I was going to get better at this thing is by having to like learn it in a way that I'd have to repeat it to people. Um, yeah. Which is, I, I said to him, I was like, oh, that's a cue I always feel like I say to people. I'm like, I want you to like learn what I'm teaching you as if you had to teach it to someone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like the sooner you have to start teaching to people. And that's also part of like the, the culture of jujitsu is that like everybody ends up kind of becoming a teacher. Every person you're kind of like partnered with and rolling with ends up being like your opponent, your drill partner, and your teacher and your yeah. student. yeah. I mean, I feel like over the years, probably Marcel is more the exception, but like it was rarely the teacher of the class that I learned the most from. Mm -hmm. It was always like a student that I tried to like model myself after, like Mm -hmm. uh, for blue and purple and brown belt, uh, the person I studied the most and and, and that probably helped me the most uh, was this uh, guy named uh, Sal Hangel or, or Sal, uh, Joao Hangel is his, his real name. His nickname was Sal. Um, and he, ne- he, he wasn't, he didn't compete a ton, but you know, he, he, you know, he didn't need to, he had a different, you know, life, life path. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his jujitsu was so sick and he was like a great mentor, you know, for me, like, uh, I mean, he, he, he was 
training at, at Gracie Baja at the time when uh, when it was really the you know the, the strongest academy for sport jiu-jitsu in the gi and he went several years in that period uh, without having his guard passed in the academy wow. training with black belt world champions every day you know uh, and then you 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 know when he was a brown belt and you'd watch him train with a high level you know elite black belt in the academy and tap him four or five times in 10 minutes like consistently wow. Uh, and he was sick and no, no one knows, no one really knows who he is, but like he was, he was the one where, you know, I do the class, I'd learn a lot from the class and asking questions of the teachers and stuff when I lived down there. And then when this sparring would start, I, I'd be training and then I'd be training and watching him train the, the entire time to just try to like, you know, it's something that, uh, again, in terms of, you know, you have to have like a model of like a person and how to learn to understand like how to teach and, and how to learn yourself. And one, one thing that, uh, you know, obviously people do really well is like you're in, I, I don't know. I don't know if anyone knows the mechanism for it is like you can project and kind of put yourself into someone else's situation when you're watching it and kind of like experience what they're experiencing and try to imagine what they're seeing, what they're feeling in that situation. And so, right. you know, it's one of the reasons why we, we I, I feel like we always improve with injuries if you, watch tape if you show if you come back to the academy while you're injured and you just watch it's like it's still training right, right? it's like you're, you're developing some sort of like kinesthetic empathy right yeah totally and i mean that's like like how you know one of the main ways i think people learn mm -hmm. you know i mean marcelo like uh a, a good chunk of of stuff he figured out in jujitsu and like parts of his game he figured out from seeing a photos in magazines. Really? Right? Yeah. Like, cause he was so isolated in terms of like the, he wasn't in Rio or Sao Paulo when he was, uh, you know, a blue and, and white, blue, purple belt. Uh, I think it was purple. I think he moved to train with, uh, with Paulo, uh, in Posto de Caldo with like where, where, uh, Mateus also trained, mm -hmm. uh, Mateus Denise. Uh, and then Brown Belt, he moved to Alliance, uh, mm -hmm. trained with Fabio Rochelle, I think, but kind of late, as far as I understand, like kind of towards the end of his Brown Belt career, the last mm -hmm. year or two. Uh, I don't know how long he was in Brown Belt for. But in the early phase, like, you know, there was no even, he wasn't even like, have like VHS tapes of the competitors. Like he'd see, you know, we'd see like Gracie Mag or Tatami Mag and you see like a photo of someone doing a move in a tournament and you're like, mm -hmm. like, why is he doing that there in that situation? And then you kind of reverse engineer it. And right. uh, it, it, it's almost like helpful maybe to not have all the information and all the details. So you can I, I, I was just thinking that. I was just thinking that like that idea where you have to like learn to learn. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Have you, have you read that book, um, range by the guy who wrote the sports gene? No, I haven't. I've read the sports gene. Yeah. He's a good writer. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a fine book. Maybe it's like a book that, I don't know. Sometimes the books are like, could be a podcast and they'd be. Well, yeah. It's one of those like formulaic books. Yeah. Like yeah. Or run or yeah, exactly. But he talks about the old book or something like that. Yeah. But he talked about like this idea where it's, and I, and I used to say this when we did like our intro classes, we're like, you know, we can't give you all the information. Like you need to learn to learn. So like they did this study where they gave everybody um, 
like vocab words and they had the word on one side of a card and they had the definition on the other side, like the way you would learn it for a test. And we'll say it was like a hundred and you know, you learn it and then it's in your memory for a short period of time, but then it's gone. Right. But then they gave a bunch of people the cards and on the side where the word would be, it was blank, but on the back, it was just the definition. And they said, go find the word. And those people, it took them a long time, but they remembered the words and the definitions. It was like they learned how they would learn it and it stayed in their brain. Yeah. So it's kind of like what you're describing here where it's like putting in that extra effort where you, it's not just handed to you where you need to, like you said, reverse engineer in some way or, or develop your learning process, not just your, I don't know, hearing process. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree wholeheart, wholeheartedly. And like Marcel is like a, he's at the extreme end of that spectrum. Like just, you know, having been a close friend, uh, he's been a close friend and like mentor and coach and everything for 12 or 15 years now. Like, uh, that's how he approaches everything, right? Like he fixes his bike himself. He fixes his computer himself. He, he, uh, I was, I was, we we were talking about this the other day, but I remember he bought this like, uh, a kind of TV console in, uh, in when he was living in Florida. And then when he moved back up to New York, like his apartment had two columns in the living room, so it didn't fit. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this was like from Ikea. It wasn't, you know, uh, uh, which, which makes it much harder to do. Right. So he like cut everything down and resized it and then reassembled it uh, to make the same thing like, smaller you know but had to like recut all the glass had to recut you know redo all the uh like consistently shrink this this you know piece of furniture yeah uh, so i mean that that that's kind of how that's how he how he works you know i think that's why his jujitsu is so it's a real mindset it's not just like this is how i do jujitsu or this is how i do this one thing yeah, it's a real, it's, you know, it's who he is and like how he approaches things. But it also like when you give primacy to like experiential knowledge like that too, it gives you permission to get rid of shit you don't need. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think that's a, a problem like with, you know, something that I experience now for sure, especially the way my mind works is kind of the opposite. Like I kind of, I like to try to know everything that everyone's doing and, every detail and then kind of uh start cleaning things up you know Mm -hmm. um but what what a problem is you get all this like residual stuff that you're afraid to get rid of it's like you know like you're a hoarder right like rather than uh uh just you know not being afraid to 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 throw things away Mm -hmm. and you know, not it, you know, Marcel is very much like he'll 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 try something or he'll 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 work on it for you know three months or whatever and then he'll realize that no, this isn't this doesn't fit for me or for my game or forever and he feels you know totally comfortable just throwing that out mm-hmm. uh, rather than having to integrate that and understanding where its place is and whatever. Also a really hard thing I think for people maybe for the first I'm guessing five, even 10 years of like practicing anything when they find something that works, the willingness to walk away from something that works. 
Absolutely. That's yeah, a really you hard to, thing to do. You, you have to ask yourself that like hard question about like why it's working, you know? Mm -hmm. A lot of times something works because you're more experienced than the person it's working on, you're stronger, you're, you, you know, you've been training longer, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to always be evaluating your moves like are, are, you know, do these work without any of those kind of like externalities like this should work on a black belt world champion as much as it works on, you know, the, the blue belt with like bad posture who trains twice a week, you know what I mean? He'll, he'll like you could probably sweep them with anything. Right. Um, so yeah, you, you, I think you always have to be like evaluating and like understanding the level that you're, you know, just understanding like what excellence is in the sport and, and, and that has to be your metric. Not like if something's working, you know, you have to always ask yourself, like, when something works, like, why did it work, mm -hmm. basically? And yeah. you can't be, you have to be honest with the answer. Yeah. Well, also, I would even take it a step further, because then it's like the, the, the ego getting in the way sometimes of being like, oh, I need to, I need to win, right? And yeah. Then, and, and then it's like, well, I'm always going to, like, step over to my, my thing that works, rather yeah. than, like, being like, yeah. you know what? Maybe I'm going to fall today and, yeah. like, and, like, take the risks. Totally. But then like you have to, you know, like if you're competing in tournaments and stuff, you can't, oh, of course you can't cut your A game either. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah. it, it's, it's a tricky balance to acquire new skills. I mean, that's why, uh, like putting, like narrowing that frame on something can be really helpful and that positional, like positional rolling can be, mm -hmm. is so good to kind of give yourself a goal and, and it allows you to, you know, like figure things out in that same scenario. I think like, if you're Marcelo, you don't need to do that because you can kind of like every, everyone you can control. You know what I mean? Right. Like right. when you're the best one in the room, you can kind of guide the training to where you need to. So, mm -hmm. you, so you can ha essentially have positional rolling without calling it that, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. That's another thing that's really interesting about like Marcelo or probably Roger, or, you know, Hoffa Mendez or something like that is those guys have been, like they continue to improve so much, but mm -hmm. they've probably been the best person in the room since they were a blue or purple belt, you right. know? Well, that's, and that's a hard position to be in. I mean, in some ways that's almost like the harder place to be than the person who's brand new, right? Yeah, like, so many people walk you're... away from it because of that. You see the guys that are so talented that just like, oh yeah, this is easy. Like, where's the challenge? Rather than like someone who has all that talent or who responds to training faster or whatever whatever the whatever the thing is i don't want to say it's because they or they work harder or whatever it is but they're mm -hmm. they're still driven to like be perfect right you know? well and it sounds like they're willing to like take risks like they're they're okay slipping on the banana peel and being the best guy in the room at the same time yeah absolutely. Like they, they know that's where they're going to learn yeah absolutely you see marcella tapping in class yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I I remember talking to someone. He's like, oh, like you know, I I tap Marcelo, and he and then he was just like, and he whatever, he doesn't care. He's just like right back in there, and I'm like, that's like to me, that's that's brilliance. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I respect so much about like seeing watching Marcelo train is like, if you tap him or if he taps, he doesn't turn it up. Like he's not like, okay, look what I could do. I could tap you back or whatever. He he keeps that same cadence of training that he had before that. And he tries to, to almost go back and figure out where the mistake was and, and, and solve it. So he never makes it again, you know? And, and 
one thing I think that drives him crazy about us is when we make the we, we're making the same mistake over and over. Because mm -hmm. he'll be like, you don't need to. If you make that mistake once in training, you should recognize it, fix it, and you you ne you don't have to go make that mistake in a tournament for it to stick. Mm -hmm. All it takes is one time in training if you're if you're you know your mind is in the right place and mm -hmm. and you're observant and then. As soon as, as soon as you recognize that mistake, you never have to make it again. Right. The, and yeah. it, sound, it sounds like in training, the mistake is, is, is of much higher value, more or less than, than actually getting a sub or something, because the, the, the mistake is where you are like, oh, now I have new information. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. And that's why, he's, that's why he gets better so fast. That's why, right. like, like, really fascinating if you, like, once we're able to train again, and we're all back <laughs> at me. It's just like to go watch Marcelo train and just like watch how he, like you can see him improving. Like, I mean, he's, he's like, you know, the, the best ever or, or one of the, be the best ever, but you can watch him over the course of a, of a week get better every, mm -hmm. every week, you know, mm -hmm. like you'll see just the way he approaches uh, just mentally how he, where he puts himself in the training every time, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, he's also like, he has that kinesthetic intelligence, like, like, you know, genius off the charts where you put anyone with him, black belt world champion, blue belt. And he, he realizes that he, you improve not by just like kicking someone's ass and not letting him do anything. You have to encourage their game. You know what I mean? You have to work with it and use that against them. So he gives a, a, a blue belt the feeling that they're really fighting jujitsu. They're really doing everything. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like mm -hmm. they gives the same way he, uh, uh, he does with a black belt world champion. And then you'll see if he wants to, he'll turn it up and, you know, he could tap that person five times in 10, that other black belt world champion, he could tap five times in 10 minutes. You know, you realize there's a, there's levels, to, there's levels to the game, even at, the highest level, you know, at black belt, you see other black belt right. champions and they, they, they might be able to do a 10 minute round with Marcelo if they're like holding, yeah. but if they want to move with them, it, it's going to last a minute and a half before they tap. You know what I mean? Like, right. Uh, so it, it's just really cool to, you know, to be an observer and it's been helpful for me over the years. Cause I've had a lot of injuries and stuff, but you know, every, every time I get injured, I'm, I'm, in there watching training at least once a day, if not twice a day, just to, you know, to watch everyone, but really to, you know, watch, watch Marcelo, you know, I learned so much from, from. Yeah. Well, it's almost like a, to bring it back to surfing. It's like the guy who rides like jaws, you know, like what is that? Like the, one of the big waves, like he, he yeah. doesn't, he doesn't ride every single wave he rides, you know, from like the three foot wave to the 60 foot wave, exactly the same or like ride every wave, like on a long board, the way he would ride it on a short board or like, yeah, it's like respecting that there are different scenarios and, yeah, the, and the, and, and the game changes with the different scenarios. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's like back to surfing. That's, those are the surfers that I like to watch the most are the, the ones who can kind of ride it, who can do it all, you know, mm -hmm. like, uh, like, I mean, probably everyone's favorite surfer, but like John, John, like, mm -hmm ridiculous to watch what he can do on kind of any board and any any set of conditions right it's never it's not just like oh i'm only going to put on the show when i'm on like the craziest like yeah, most yeah deadly yeah. shit yeah yeah 
You, you mentioned, because um, you talked about Iyengar a bit, and, you, and I feel like you said, you talked about breath work maybe like three or four times, but just like kind of grazed over it. But I feel like I've spent a lot of time thinking about it, and I've spent some, a lot of time doing it, and I think it's something that we don't think enough about. Can you talk a little bit about some of the breath work you've been doing recently and maybe some things that you've been doing in the past? Because I think there's something, there's something there for everybody. Yeah, I mean, I, I started, uh, I guess, doing a little breath, breath work with my uh, first kind of long-term yoga teacher in, in Santa Cruz, uh, Lori broderick Burr. And I think she was mostly from a, I, she was mostly from an Iyengar tradition and she, uh, I'm, I'm, it's been so long since, since I've, you know, thought about that. She also worked, I think a lot with, uh, with Judith Lassiter, who does like, like restorative yoga. Uh, and yeah, so I think it was just kind of basic pranayama. Uh, my understanding is, is in that, tradition of, of like Iyengar, you don't really start the pranayama until your, your body's been strengthened enough with the asana practice so that you can really support the, support the breath, you know, because mm -hmm. uh, we're like something I've been teaching a lot of kind of very rudimentary breath work because I'm not a qualified teacher in, in, in breath work by any means, but I've, I've, we've been doing a lot of Zoom classes, you know, with Marcelo's at, uh, some workout classes, we do some video analysis and some uh, some kind of basic jujitsu movements that we can do at home uh, to mm -hmm. kind of work on those building blocks. But I've been going more and more into doing some breath work at the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and one thing that I, you know, uh, I always try to emphasize is that our posture is supporting the breath and the breath is supporting our posture. And that's something that we, I think, is, is really important to understand for fighting too, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we have to probably the most important skill in a fight is to be able to breathe, right? Because as soon mm -hmm. as you stop breathing, you can't uh, you can't function really. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, that's how I, I got into it. I've done like a number of breathwork seminar, like Wim Hof seminars. I've done like a seminar with Brian McKinsey that was you know similar ish. Uh, done some reading and whatever, watching YouTube stuff but for the most part i just uh and and more with yoga but i i kind of do a i on my own i do like a pattern i guess it's kind of wim hof ish of of but uh you know inhalation exhalation retention like the three uh factors of breath work sometimes i work more on the exhalation i'm like uh, controlling the doing really long exhales with, with the diaphragm, uh, sometimes more percussive uh, on the exhalation. And then I, I do the retention off of both the inhale and the exhale. Uh, I, because I don't, again, I'm not like a breathwork instructor or anything. It's like, for the most part, everything is like experiential yeah. uh, with me. So I'm, I'm kind of doing a little bit free form, but like informed by those modalities. And, you know, a lot of, uh, even, even gyrotonic, like I, I did quite a bit of gyrotonic for maybe six or seven years, mm -hmm. uh, a couple times a week. Uh, it helped me a lot to when I was really overtrained and, and needed to keep that training volume up. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a really good 
integrative practice of, of breath and movement, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, also relatively like similar in terms of like just understanding how to breathe into your like low in your body and keep the tension out of your, you know, chest and collarbones and neck and, uh, moving in postures that allow you to breathe well and, and in motion, uh, kind of working with your breath and your, and your integrating breath and body so that, you know, your inhale is mostly passive and can be driven by, uh, kind of arching movements or movements where your shoulders and knees move apart from each other. And then your exhales, uh, to, to time that when, when you're, when you're, you know, you're, you're, you're curling or you're, you're, uh, bringing your body in. So your, your shoulders are moving close to your knees. And so like developing that, uh, kind of more integrative, uh, breath. Yeah. I, so I am, I guess that's a good way to say I'm a little all over the place with the breath work, but I do a lot of, I do a lot of breath. Um, yeah, I, I do some stomach vacuuming stuff too, like on my own in the morning before I eat. Um, I don't know the, the, yogic term for that but i yeah, do was, like it, that, that one's like udiana right or something like yeah that. i think so i do i do kind of like the starter version still like where i, I typically do uh from standing mm-hmm. and and with kind of bent legs and post my arms on my knees to to uh, find the posture to kind of access that mm-hmm. uh yeah so i but but i do try to make it a, a daily practice at least for you know, five minutes a day or something. I, I, I did a lot of practice at the, the Santa Cruz Zen Center. When I looked at, uh, growing up in Santa Cruz, I would go do uh, like meditation and I and, uh, did a couple practice periods, like more intense practice periods where, you know, it's like a daily practice. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's the, the foundation of it is just basic, you know, uh, Soto Zen meditation of, uh, just observing the breath and, and observing your body. And, and then uh, the other forms I, th- I feel like are a little bit, I mean, they're still meditative, but they're a little bit more like exercise you know? Yeah. Uh, I still like to do both. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I just, I, I really believe it's like this thing that we don't spend enough time on and it's like almost like evaporated, like culturally, it's not like there are like parents and elders handing down like thoughts on breathing. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, when you look back at like a lot of different things, I mean, you can look at like whatever different fi- kinds of yoga, different kinds of martial arts. And there's always this like, especially early on, this like integration of like breath and then breath and movement, understanding of like breath and stress and breath and, and you know, changing consciousness and everything. And, you know, it's this really valuable to- and tool. And then and somehow now it's like, oh, well, we don't even spend as much time there. Everybody does it anyway. Yeah, I I feel like that that's where I'm gonna um, where that's where a lot of my energy is gonna be directed in the future, especially as my you know your body continues to change as you get older and mm-hmm. and use it. Uh, it helps me a lot in fly fishing too, because the way I fly fish is a lot more like hunting. I think mm-hmm. like I, I I don't care so much about catching a lot of fish. Mm-hmm. I, I you know I, I fish like dry flies on rivers for hopefully big fish and, and uh, I don't fish to I don't cast a fish I can't see you know mm-hmm. so it's it's like most of the day when I'm when I'm fishing uh, I'm not fishing you know like probably 
90% of the time I'm not fishing, I'm observing and, yeah. uh, you know, breathing and, you know, hoping I see a fish or something, but like, you know, and then it's stalking and staying calm and, and, um, well, that's kind of what I think uh, one of the first few times we, we chatted, I told you about these guys uh, fighting monkey. They're like a movement. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. yeah. And, and I interviewed Yosef, who's one of the co-founders a few weeks ago. And this is exactly what he was talking about, where, where he kind of believed like meditation derived from was from hunting. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. That, like that's where a stillness practice originates is this idea of like, that's what a hunter had to do. Yeah. still observe right and then as we kind of grew a little more distant from that lifestyle we still needed to like integrate that into like our nervous system because you know we we crave it yeah i mean uh it just that just reminded me of uh, what was the michael I, I think it was michael pollan's first book mm -hmm. uh I always forget the order of the books, right? It was like new food rules was like the tiny one. And then I think maybe Omnivore's Dilemma was first. Yeah, I, I read Omnivore's Dilemma, but it was a long time ago. I, I, I don't know if it was in Omnivore's Dilemma or like the one after the between new food rules and Omnivore's Dilemma, but like it was, uh, he talks about like even cannabinoids and like, like that the receptors or whatever for like for uh, cannabinoids are probably like were developed um, or evolved from like basically from hunting because that's that that uh, like the experientially like when you're hunting like you like it stretches out the perception of time and we become like hyper aware of these like very kind of narrow things uh, so yeah I mean that's like a I mean I'm not um, that that's the closest that I, I get in my life. Cause I, you know, I, I look pretty clean, like to like experiencing some kind of like, um, altered state, I think, mm -hmm. you know, cause like I'll, I'll fly fish, um, again, like I, I, I kind of set out with, it's, it's mostly about observation, but like I'll, I'll, you know, spend the time on the river and try to figure out what's happening and solve the problem, but then, you know, spend a lot of time, walking around and, and observing and just like trying to find the, the right uh, conditions and the right location and stuff. But, and then you realize it's like, you just spent nine, like nine hours past. <laughs> you know, right. It feels right. like an hour and a half or something, you know? Well, because it's such a, it's such like an overwhelming sensory experience, right? Because yeah. it's like, yeah. unlike, you know, I don't know, pick the thing that's just like, whatever that's totally structured i don't know what it is it could be just like doing push-ups or something like that you know it's like oh you have to do a hundred or something and it's like the your your sensory experience is limited you're not smelling a bunch of things you're not seeing a bunch of things you're not trying to turn on your ears and all these things but when you're out there hunting not only are you like prepared to like cast right yeah. but you're like listening and you're like seeing and you're you're smelling what's happening like i mean it's a it's a pretty like sensory overload yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and we like don't yeah. have as much of that anymore. Yeah, and I feel like jujitsu kind of like ruined me for anything else because now, you know, I, I've kind of been doing jujitsu more or less full time since I was seventeen or mm -hmm. something like that, like mid late nineties, and 
I mean, I was already really, I was already into fishing and surfing before, before that, but then, you know, I, that's been pretty much my job, uh, since then. And so I kind of just, am always kind of craving that experience. I, I kind of feel the same way in jujitsu. Like it's the, even almost more so than fishing and surfing, because, you know, like you're, you know, you're observing in both of those two, like, you know, you're waiting for waves or you're adjusting your position and understanding where you are in the lineup or, or, you know, with fishing, you're, you're looking for fish or just like you see a fish and, you know, sometimes I'll see a fish eat and I'll, I'll watch the fish for 40 minutes to try to like figure out how to approach it and what to, you know, uh, or, or just sometimes just, just observe, you know, for the case, just, just to observe and not just like rush things. But even still jujitsu is the, of all of those is the one that I feel like more, most reliably and directly plugs you into that kind of flow state, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, and you do, you know, you realize like you can't, you know, that the, the hour of training went by like that and you didn't really have mm -hmm. whatever other disruptive thoughts or you weren't thinking about whatever else, you know, that had been on your mind. Do you think that there's something to it too that has to do with like kind of the being with people aspect of it, right? Sure. Like I remember I, I wrote a blog about this. I'll send it to you um, because I, I think it was one of like my first few belt promotions and Marcelo gave this speech about how, Jiu-jitsu means a lot to him because it makes you better at being with people. Um, and what you're kind of describing makes me think of that. Um, Excuse me. Bless you. That, um, that being with people aspect that we have almost less and less of, and even now more so less and less of, but like the being with people, like we're, as again, as mammals, like we're not supposed to just be able to like self-regulate, like being able to co-regulate is a really important aspect of like, being mammals being human beings um yeah do you I, I i when you were saying that it made me think like oh that maybe that's also part of that attraction to jujitsu as well yeah for sure yeah for sure and then like there's a there's an honesty to to that interaction with jujitsu that i think is lost in a lot of other disciplines especially probably with like you know the, this like so many of our relationships are so transactional or they're not, there's not a lot of depth or the, you know, and we're on like social media all the time or whatever. Mm -hmm. And in jujitsu, you can like, you can say whatever about who you are, but like as soon as someone puts their hands on you, you can like feel what their intentions are. You know what I mean? You can treat yeah. them as someone you're like, Oh shit, this person's so nice, but they're just like malicious. Like I can feel that they want to hurt me. Mm -hmm. Or vice versa, you know, like you, you, uh, uh, you train with someone who's like, seems like they're big and, and tough or whatever, or, or and, and you train and they're very smooth and it's like, you can kind of feel that energetic give and take, uh, in the training and you can feel that, oh, they had an opportunity to take my head off there and they didn't, you know, they were very careful, you know, and so you can, I, I feel like that's like kind of also the, the most direct laboratory if there's some other aspect of ourselves that we're not comfortable with and we either need to get to know better or we want to try to change or, or like, mm -hmm. like it's going to like fighting, it brings out the, brings out who you are, you know, and yeah. so much jiu-jitsu is like managing 
is learning how to relax and then managing that, t- that balance between tension and relaxation, mm-hmm. like in our mind and in our body. I feel like that's the best, you know, it's the best format. You for just it. saying that like tension and relaxation is something that like hits the nail on the head for me, because I feel like, especially like modern fitness trends or wellness, whatever people define like strength as like this really like epit- epitome of like physicality. But I remember feeling this, this thing early on of like, I, I, I know tension, but I don't know non-tension. Yeah. Right. And, and non-tension is, is just as powerful as tension or, or tension doesn't matter without non-tension. Yeah. Or yeah. emptiness. I don't know what the better word is, but like, you know, it's like, um, you, you can't always be full all the time. Yeah. I would agree. I, 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 and it's ironic too in jujitsu because we're learning to relax and like basically the most stressful, one of the most <laughs> stressful situations you could be put in, you know? Yeah. Or it's like watching like John John Swift pipe or something like it's like, or Chopu is like the heaviest, craziest, most dangerous situations. And he's just like so relaxed and playful, you know, like, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I love about jujitsu. It's like, you're like threading this needle, you know, all the time and you can keep yourself like relaxed, but you, you're managing so much in that, in that moment, you know? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and really educating yourself on like how to not be uh, rigid, to not be like a, a, a victim of rigidity. Right. And like, being and not to, str- not to, cause like that, the, you know, efficiency has to be your ally, not your enemy. You know, when you go with someone who's really better than you and you can feel that every single like movement and breath and everything they're doing is just more efficient than what you're doing. Mm-hmm. It just feels like you're drowning, you know, mm-hmm. and that's like good jujitsu too. Right. Right. Like is, is you get, you, you're, you're, you make the other person work for you. <laughs> right. Well, I, 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 I appreciate that uh, you've talked a lot about like just the fishing and the surfing and kind of also just like you, your interest in, 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 in the books and, and the yoga and the different thought process. Cause I've thought a lot about this idea of like, you know, I think a very uh, common word now is like generalist, right? Like people want to talk about being a generalist or something. And I think people attribute it to like either, you know, maybe being an intellectual generalist or, or being a, uh, a physical generalist, but I've thought a lot about this idea of like um, really being like a human generalist. Like I can't come up with a better word than like whole, like wholeness. Um, But the person who can like fight and dance, the person who cooks and like writes poetry and the person who like cries and laughs at dirty jokes and is kind of like, you know, experiencing the spectrum of like um, human abilities. Yeah. And a lot of things that you're talking about, I think people sometimes see like a, uh, for like an instructor, like a jujitsu instructor. And it's like, Oh, they are like a jujitsu specialist. Like that's what they do, whatever. But I appreciate that you're describing this like real spectrum of like, um, you know, human experience that comp that all complements each other because it's not like one thing ends and then another thing begins. It's all, you know, um, one continuum. Yeah. And I think like as a, the practitioner a big part of that happens because like you go through this you go through an internal process where you're you you realize like you're not 
there's a there's a there's a delineation between like being a hobbyist or oh, this is something like I do and this is who I am and when you're when you allow yourself to be like this is who I am this is a you know I'm a martial artist or I'm a jiu-jitsu fighter and you it allows you to take that into like off the mat and mm-hmm. it allows you to use that toolbox like uh in in to solve to, to approach other problems with that you know like like that that art teacher that I talked about in college, uh, Howard Kimoto, like would, you know, he would say like, the earlier you consider yourself, and even if you're like your art's like dog shit, like the earliest, the earlier you consider yourself, like you can tell yourself I'm an artist, and this is like my, you know, this is my art or whatever that that you develop that confidence, mm-hmm. like that's when the 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 learning can start. You know what mm. I mean? Like that's the, that's, the, that's where you can start to like take that first step forward and, and, and uh, you know, take ownership of the, of that process, uh, take ownership of the process of, of improvement, you know? So I, I kind of feel like that's one thing I try to always get across to the students is like that you, you know, as, as to get them however that happens, but to get them plugged into like the, the, the room and the culture and the team and the, so that they, they feel part of it. And as soon as they feel part of it, that they be like, okay, no, this is, this is who I am as a martial artist. This is my, this is a home that, mm-hmm. that for me here, it's like, they, then it's a lot easier to take that off the mat and, mm-hmm. and, you know, like, like integrate that into every other uh, aspect of your life. Right. Right. And then, and, and going the other direction as well. I remember like, um, someone was once saying like, you know, when you're struggling with a new skill or something, sometimes go learn a different skill and come back to it. And what you're doing then is just like kind of having another sensory experience and just improving your like physical awareness to like then come back and be like, Oh, well, what was I not getting about that thing? Like what, what sense was I missing? Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And they all benefit each other. Yeah. And then also like, so it's not just all like, uh, and we kind of talked about that, but you have to be realistically self-critical too. Mm-hmm. I feel like in like everything you do, right? And, mm-hmm. and you know, you realize like a lot of things you're not. Even if someone says you're good at them, or you know, or you get like that attention, you're really not that good. You know, I mean, I think there's a lot of jujitsu people <laughs> who aren't that good at jujitsu, <laughs> who are who are uh, you know at a, at like a whatever they're 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 high level technically or whatever like they they're black belts or brown belts but if in terms of the art they're you know they're it's nothing special yet you know what i mean like you 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 know i include myself in that and, and sometimes too like there's um like you have to be yeah i mean you have to be realistic too like you have to it's not all it's not all like idealism Right. right. Well, and like perfect technique doesn't mean perfect jujitsu. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. I, I often think of like, you know, there, there are kids who like learn how to play classical guitar, for instance, at a super young age, but they've learned the technique perfectly. You know what I mean? And they grow up and nobody wants to hear them play yeah, because, yeah. They, because they'd rather hear Nirvana, you know, like messy or, 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 you know, uh, or someone who's just like a genius in 
you know, in their, in soccer, like there's no like linear path that takes you there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so what, um, I know that the school is, is kind of still in limbo at the moment, trying to figure out like what to, what, like when opening and things like that will happen or do you have any more information there? Not really. I mean, probably just as much as anyone else has is that like, we're all prepared, uh, you know, cause we're like supposedly stage four, uh, mm-hmm. reopening, like, mm-hmm. uh, cause we're, uh, whatever the, the code is, it's the, like health and physical culture or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, which is basically like a gym. So we had, we were trying to prepare for like some solo movement. I think there's a lot that we can do like with solo movement and jujitsu to improve, right? Like, like mm-hmm. having big kind of squares on the mat to socially distance. And, you know, we can do a lot more on the mat like that than we can do on our house. Cause most mm-hmm. of us don't have like a 12 by 12 matted square with a wall pad on. So you can like right. drill, you know, judo entries, uchikomi and do like shadow wrestling and, all the, you know, all our moves on the ground and, you know, we, we don't, most of us don't have that at home. So it was like, still like, seems like a good, uh, bridge kind of thing to, until we can start training again. But then mm-hmm. yesterday Cuomo said that that's not going to be allowed for the foreseeable future. Uh, oh, wow. so, or at least for the next couple of weeks, like there's no date certain when that's going to be allowed. He said, like, he thinks that the risk is, is too high relative to the, you know, social good or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that sucks. Cause like, you know, we're really, really low, like in New York right now, I think like there's a few days that 0.24% or something like that tested positive in the city. So, uh, I don't know, like wait, indoor dining just got approved at 25% capacity. So I think if that and the schools, the going back to school stuff go, does well, then I think we have a pretty good chance of opening soon. Yeah. Like if there's no bumps in the numbers and then, you know, that, that, that's, that, that's what we, that seems like what other States have done successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and is any of the other parts of New York have done is like start with like a couple weeks of solo movement and then start with a dedicated partner and then a small group that's in like a bubble. Uh, and, and, you know, that's our plan to, 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 uh, come back. So we're just like, the gym is perfect. Like it's, uh, I wish I, I could, I could show the photos or video I have on my phone. It's like, it's sick right now. Like we've, everything's cleaned. Everything's like social distance. There's like, you know, we have 12 by 12 squares taped on all the mats. So it's like, you have a ton of room. There's no, there no one's kind of standing on top of each other. Right. Uh, like we're ready to go. It's just, yeah. we're, we're just waiting for, we're just waiting for the city to say it's okay. Basically. Yeah, I've got, I've got a friend in Colorado and they've been doing kind of like the four or three man pods for a while. Yeah. And it sounds like it works really well. It's like these, I think you said they're like 12 people total in class. It's a smaller space, I think. But then it's like, it's pods of three and those people, those three people never train with anybody else. And, you know, they've had success. Granted, it's Colorado. It's a different story. But like, I see that as like being a, a, a step that should yeah, be. Yeah, I think that could really mitigate the risk. And like, honestly, like if you have if you have a good group of three, mm-hmm. like that's all the, that's plenty of training. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I think it would be really beneficial for a lot of us who, 
you know, sometimes when you're just like spreading yourself, like you, you're training with them and them and them, and it's, there's not that consistency and there, it's, it makes it harder to get better. It makes it harder to see those mistakes because you're not like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's not, it's not in your face all the time. And then like ego wise, you know, it's, uh, you know, that the goals are whatever we always talk about training without an ego, but it's, that doesn't exist. You know what I mean? Like you can't just wish away your, your ego, you know, right, right. you can do what you do is you, you, you don't let it control you. Like you don't let that like control your training and, and you manage it. So like, you're like the person who's driving you crazy, keeps tapping you and your ego tells you like you need to figure something out. So they stop doing it. You know, I'm like you, right. It, it, it pushes, you have to allow it to push yourself. I mean, you know, the, where the person that is like your, whatever your your annoying brother or something right, like right. you know because we're all in the same family but it doesn't mean like you're you're, you're it's like a you know a, a, a whatever a, a cartoon marriage or something all the time right it's like, right but it, but it is a good opportunity in the beginning for like the pods to be like no 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 now you do have a sibling and a cousin and the three of you are are playing together exactly you guys are playing together you guys are gonna have to figure out <laughs> yeah. to get along and like if someone's you know, I remember there was a guy who, uh, he was like a marine biologist at UCSC that used to, he was like a, always like one belt higher than me, mm-hmm. you know, he, like on paper, I should have been, you know, I was like a pretty good athlete. I was 17 or 18 or whatever. And he was like 35 and he would destroy me with one, he had one guard pass and like, it took me until I was purple belt to like be able to stop it basically maybe like towards the end of blue belt, but I'd be so, you know, I had like much more complete jujitsu. I was winning tournaments doing that. And like this guy would just crush me every time. It was like, you need that. You need that too. That person that's beating you with the one thing to go in and really problem solve it, you know? Well, and also like being with the, with people who really know your game. Yeah. Right? It's and, not like you get to like spread it out and like, someone's like, Oh, like I kind of remember training with you, but if you're just like, no, 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 no. I know yeah, you're, where, where you're you strong. Yeah, you could trick them. You know what I mean? And like, yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to rely on that. Yeah. So have you have you been training jujitsu personally, like with your own? Yeah, little- I have. Yeah, 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 I have. I've been training with like uh, Matias Denise. And, right. Uh, he's you know he's getting ready for a big match with Gordon. Yeah, that's exciting. So, yeah, there's been like three or four of us that have been kind of training. Uh, yeah. So so that's, I guess I've been training for about a month now. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't really, I was drilling it, it, when I was in Montana. I was doing, I was, I was doing a lot of drilling with a friend, but we weren't really like sparring much, but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I've been, I've been training like, I don't know, maybe like four times a week or something like that. Like doesn't feel like enough, but mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of what, well, it's a, it's a big change after like basically five months away. And then all of a sudden you're in a place where like, you're used to having like, I don't know, middle of the day classes, like 70 people. And then yeah. all of a sudden it'd be like four. I mean, that's a big, that's a big change. Yeah. And I wish we could like, we could be training at the school and stuff, but it's just not, not yeah. in the cards yet. Well, I really respect yeah, like private training, you know? Yeah. Well, I really, I really respect that. Like, you know, all the work that you guys have put into like, make it a place that's like ready to go when it's ready to go. And like, I, I, I realize all the effort I know, like, you know, we had to close our school 
you know, you know, in Brooklyn. So like life changes over here, but I didn't, I haven't gotten an opportunity to, to participate in the MG live because I've, you know, been without work, but I have a ton of respect for the ability to switch gears and to be like, yo, we're used to training with 70 people in person, everybody sparring and doing these things and just being like, nope, we're going to like totally switch it. We're going to do things that people can do in their living rooms. We're going to do, we're going to explore other avenues. We're going to do breath work. We're going to do, you know, some, some general physical preparedness stuff on top of some like solo drilling stuff. I don't know. I just really respect it. And I think that like um, the, the, the people who have gotten to be a part of it and, and have even looked on from afar really respect that, like, you know, the, the creative juices that have had to flow to like make this work either logistically in the gym with, you know, all the different things that could happen and the teachers who have on the extra mile to be like, no, I'm going to like jump off the mats and onto zoom. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it was mostly out of necessity, but like, uh, the, you know, the idea is like, you can always do something, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, I remember, I forget who it was, said, you know, like the, the uh, real uh, professional athletes, like the deal, the, the, the difference between professional athletes and, and amateurs is professional athletes are always injured and they train around their injuries, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, so we, you kind of do what you can. And mm-hmm. at, at the same, at the same time, I just want to like, say i think that you know we do we also are we don't want to put anyone at risk and we we like try we take it seriously that you know there are a lot of our students maybe are exposed or have a family member or 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 someone that's high risk and and we don't want to be uh like we, we we want to be respectful of that and and so we want to make sure that when we come back full force like it's it's in a safe way Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, obviously like New York got hit really hard. Hopefully that doesn't happen again. And there's no like real second wave, but also like, you know, we, we also don't really understand like what the, the effects are uh, of COVID down the line, like what the, you know, even like a moderate or mild infection, like what that means for your health six months or six years from now. Right. So, uh, like we want to, we don't want to just be, you know, it really sucks from the business perspective, right. For, mm-hmm. for our students, but you know, like our idea is always for, is that, you know, we're going to, we're, we're building a, an institution and a team and a family that's going to be there for 30 years or, or hopefully more. And every, and most of our students are going to train for their whole lives. That's the idea. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we're going to try to, we want to try to be as safe as possible now. And, and so hopefully we can, we can come back as soon as possible, you know, like, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not personally, you know, like in my own life, I'm not super concerned about, uh, it, about myself getting it, for example, but I'm, I'm not also looking forward to it. And right. I'm trying to stay, because I, you know, I'm training with a couple of people. So there's, there is some risk there, but I'm also like socially isolating myself from all the other people in my life that were, who are higher risk, et cetera. So, right. You know, I think all of us are making a lot of sacrifices. Yeah. Well, I, the, and, and I, I, 
you know, like I said, it, it, it doesn't go unnoticed, like all the work that, that you and the rest of the team have like done to, to continue to like, you know, support a community, even if it's like, it, it, it's different, it's creative though. It's like, it's a uh, problem solving. It's, it's all these amazing things. And, and at the end of the day, really, I don't know, giving people something who, who have, felt isolated. I, I don't know. I think there's, there's so much good that you guys have done that I just, you know, again, I, I have a ton of respect for it and, and, and respect all the things that are going to continue to happen moving forward. Cause I know it's going to continue to be challenging and, and, you know, have to be a lot of like problem solving along the way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also like for us too, like uh, I'm sure for you as well, like uh, uh, a lot of times that teaching a class on zoom is the best part of my day. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the, just connecting with the students and getting to move and realizing like, Oh shit. Like, you know, mm-hmm. we can still, do, we can still, it's not jujitsu, but we can still do something in that space and make ourselves, uh, you know, to improve. I mean, Marcelo lost like 20 pounds, 20, 25 pounds or something like that from, from doing the zoom workouts. Really? Like, he's got really into them and, you know, like got serious about his diet again. Like his, on more or less like the comp diet, I think. And like, he's really pushes the workouts, you know, uh-huh. he, he, he does it almost like a kind of like a warm up before class. Like the, the, in terms of the exercises, he does a, like a lot of like kind of hot, like jumps and hops and jumping Jack and that kind of stuff. It's like, it's, his class is not easy. <laughs> not, every time I do it, I'm sore for, you know, at least a few days. It's like taking some sort of like boot camp class with Marcelo Garcia. Yeah, and but also like yeah, but boot camp, but like where we do all these like functional movements, and he does yeah. a lot of handstands. I mean, which I'm sure you're like the yeah. the, the master of, but generalist master. But yeah, I man, I I dig that so much. That's um, that's just awesome. So if people want to jump on, are, able, are people able to sign up now uh, who are not pe- part of the school or is it strictly for people who are, who are students think, before? That's a good question. I think it's people who, I think we're still for people who were students, before, you have to have been a student before, but uh, actually, I don't know if that's right. I don't, I don't know. I might have to get back to you on that. I think, I think if you're interested in jumping on our, our zoom classes, uh, as long as we are, as when we're, as long as we don't have our physical space open again, that, like that's the goal is to, to get that space open as soon as the city's going to let it will let us, we're ready to go. We have our, we have all the infrastructure of doing like little bubbles for the solo training and phasing it back in once we're allowed to do actual training. Uh, but until then we're doing, three zoom classes a day mm-hmm. uh and then monday through friday and then and then one on the weekends and we do like the we do like a workout zoom class we do a q a like a technique q a and then we do like a video analysis mm-hmm. um, so if you're interested you can you can just uh inquire off the website about joining and mm-hmm. you can I, if you sign up i think you can you know if you sign up for like the membership you can you can become a part of that Okay, cool. And, and are are you going to be like traveling and teaching any seminars or anything in the near future, or or, or anything like uh, that? That's a good question. I don't really know. I haven't. I've had some inquiries, but I'm not. Uh, 
I'm, I'm kind of trying to focus on just the, just our group right now. Okay. okay. Uh, so, so that's, I mean, I, I, I just finished two or I just had two instructionals get released with BJJ fanatics about, uh, guard pat, no gi guard passing and then uh, half guard with the gi. And I have another like closed guard one coming out. So that's, I think the extent of my, uh, of my teaching, you know, outside of the MG group for now. Okay. And that, that's at bjjfanatics.com. Yeah. Yeah. That's at BJJ fanatics. You can just look at, yeah. See my material there. Okay. Um, cool. Yeah. Well, I'm a, I feel like we need to talk again at some point. Uh, it doesn't have to be recorded, but I feel like we should uh, powwow more in the future about some, uh, some breath work ideas. Yeah, just let me know. I, you know, I just found out about this. I, I have it. I have it on my phone somewhere. There's a breathwork institute in Tribeca mm. that's De, De Rossi or something like that. Have you heard of that? No, I haven't heard of it. It's a. Uh, I think. I mean, it's based in kind of a yogic tradition, but it's a, a, a Brazilian kind of teacher's take on it. I think there's a whole methodology and schools in brazil and uh, someone just was telling me that there's a there's a uh an affiliate in in tribeca so i was going to go over and take a few classes in the next week or two assuming it's open oh nice well yeah. if, I, if i can find my way back down to the city at some point i'll uh i'll definitely come check it out we're like 90 minutes outside right now uh yeah but um i i don't know i've been thinking about a lot i've been practicing a lot and reading some things but yeah we'll, we'll We'll exchange some emails and stuff about some of that stuff. For sure. Yeah. There's a new book called breath. I'm reading, I'm I'm reading it right now. It's interesting because um, it reads, I like it, but it, you know, it's, it reads similar to like a uh, sports gene. Um, But the information is really great. Um, You know, the whole first part is just about like, no, you know, mouth breathing versus nose breathing. Um, just important information. I think he goes on to like, you know, some pranayama techniques and yeah. and things like that, you know, kind of playing with like, Hey, this is information that's been around for thousands of years and people have known about for a long time. And here's the, on the other side, here's the science and how the West is only now figuring it out. Um, but I think, I, I, I think it's a great book, totally worth reading. I, uh, yeah, I also, yeah. I mean, I would recommend light on pranayama too, if you haven't read that by BKS Iyengar. Yeah, that was like the first one I read, which was, and, and you know what I thought was amazing about it? And I think it's because English is not, or was not his first language. It, it's written a very simple way. It's very accessible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, it's like, uh, it's so organized, so like hyper organized, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost like overwhelming when you, when you're like, like all the tech, I mean, same thing with Iyengar Yoga. It's, it's so, uh, there's so much detail there mm-hmm. that it can kind of feel overwhelming or like uh, overly rigid or something, but it's, it's really just like having a, a, a great, like you said, like it's just, it's very well organized, but it's just like a manual of like every potentiality and like how to interpret and how to like modify these, these, uh, these kind of practices for your body and, Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and he talks about it in the beginning in like a really great way that's like both philosophical and 
pragmatic, I think, where it's like, you know, here's kind of like the, you know, you're exploring yourself and all these things. And then at the base level, it's like, this is important because. Yeah. And I, 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 ha I don't know, again, I, I, this is kind of secondhand, what, but one of my teachers who, who's with, uh, you know, practicing Iyengar yoga for like 40 plus years, saying like some of that approach has to do with like being Brahmin, where like the, the path to God is really like in physical reality. So it's, it becomes so much about uh, like the, uh, the, the physical details of the body and how to like organize and align things. Mm -hmm. uh, and for me, that really like makes sense of like kind of like guardrails to kind of keep you, keep you on the right, on the right track. Um, mm -hmm. But so, yeah, I, I, I feel like all the, all the spiritual stuff is included in the, in the physical, you know, is the physical is like that, that gateway to the, to the spiritual, the spiritual experiences. Well, that's what I was saying. You know, I, I feel like it's something like a Sam Harris would say or something, but like the, you know, we have the potential to, to change our consciousness, right. By the way we breathe. And yeah. someone like a Sam Harris is why I said it was like, would say like, you know, spirituality is kind of the exploration of consciousness. Um, and I think that kind of plays to what you're saying as well as like that kind of research and, and time there lets you make some of those observations. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I read this other one, the, the yoga of breath. Have you heard of that one? I haven't. Yeah. It's kind of like the little bit more basic one where it's almost like the first chapter or two is just on like a Shavasana, just corpse. And yeah. That, you know, kind of people should spend a long time there just, finding their everyday breath because people don't even know how to everyday breathe. Um, which I thought was a, even more accessible than the very accessible light on pranayama. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think light on pranayama has part two of the book or something maybe is, is on corpse pose. Yeah. Shavasana. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been doing it every day for um, like five months now, like 10 or 15 minutes at the end of every like practice session. And then it's like, uh, it, it is a way to observe. I don't want, you know, I think it's different for everybody, but I, observation to me is kind of the word that comes to mind. Yeah. I mean, that's like, I, I've been wanting to do this for, for quite a few years, but in a lot of the Japanese martial arts, there's a tradition of having like a winter practice period uh -huh. where, uh, you know, like an Aikido and Judo where you take a uh, for a couple of weeks and in, mm -hmm. in the winter you, it's typically like a silent practice, but there'll be like seated meditation and then kind of a silent like technical practice. Uh, so I've been wanting to do that in jujitsu for a long time. It's some, as you know, as every year, I'm like, you know, maybe this will be the year. Maybe this will be the year. So, 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 so what, what, that, what would that look like? Like a day? I think what I'd like to do is like do, uh, like maybe do an orientation class about it, about like teaching some basic, uh, breath work, maybe bring someone in or may, you know, uh, yeah, or at least, you know, the basics of like, a, at least a seated meditation practice, if not like a more, uh, active, you know, kind of breath work, uh, regimen and then, or pranayama regimen, but basically do a seated meditation, um, and then a silent training, or maybe I, I, I just think that would also be maybe a really interesting way to learn, uh, mm -hmm. where, I show a technique a couple of times and mm -hmm. from different angles. And so I, you'd really have to pay attention to the, you know, visually to it. And then 
when we drill drill the, the instructor, whether it's me or an assistant or something, is you know, you could go around and make like, you know, uh, modifications like through touch basically, like helping correct positions mm-hmm. and then uh, having some some sparring, some training uh, mm-hmm. after that. But having the whole class be silent. And just seeing like like doing like maybe a, a two week thing, like five AM to seven AM training mm-hmm. for, for two weeks in the you know, in the middle of winter. Uh, that sounds awesome to me. I think that that's, and there's also something there that made me think about um, this. They talk about how like imagining something like imagining a skill can be as powerful as actually physically doing it. Yeah. It's still myelinating those like neural pathways. Right. Right. And I feel like what you're talking about kind of like plays to that as well. A little bit like this, like a little bit of like reflection on some technique where it's like, it's not just like, doing it and, and feeling it physically, but spending some time kind of with it in your brain and like imagining it. And then like, you know, nonverbal experience, like practice. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And then also it's going to, it's going to make you feel like a martial artist getting up at 4am when it's 20 degrees out and it's dark and, you know, yeah, you have to get, you, get yourself to the Academy and, you know, do that for two weeks. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really into the idea. So. Oh uh, man. Do you, have you done Aikido? No, no, not really. Uh, there was, I have a, I, I have connections to a couple pretty senior Aikido teachers. And I'm, I'm really interested in it. You know, I think for a lot of, uh, for a lot of people, Aikido is the art that you go to when you're, once you're kind of, you're done with the harder, with like the harder edged arts, like not that Aikido is not hard, but you know, like, you're done getting thrown like 300 times of practice in judo or, or uh, you're done fighting, whatever. Uh, and you still want to be active in, in a way that's a little softer on your yeah. body. Yeah. Uh, and you can really, you know, refine and train a lot of the principles of movement in the martial arts without the, the hardness of like a, a sparring practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Aikido is something I see myself kind of getting into in the future when I, when maybe I have more time or. Yeah. Uh, I, I've never had it. I don't have any experience with it, but I, someone suggested I read a uh, key in daily life, mm-hmm. um, which is written by, I think a very famous Aikido instructor. I forget his name. And it was um, in some ways talking about all the things we just talked about for the last hour and a half. Um, yeah. um, I mean, because like I said, a lot of these things, like they, they transcend across like multiple um, disciplines, but uh, I thought it was a really interesting book, you know, from a, a movement perspective and from a, a martial arts perspective. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm super I'm super interested. <laughs> I just it's it's kind of like a a little abstract still because, like I said, I've never I've never done it. There, uh, there was a a guy who taught. I used to teach jujitsu at uh, UC Santa Cruz. Mm-hmm. And we had like a, a jujitsu club and they have, they have like a beautiful martial arts facility. And the class after us was an Aikido class. Um, and the instructor had a, a really high level judo background, had uh, competed in judo and, and throughout the university system in Japan and as a fourth or fifth degree black belt. And, you know, he just had a bad back and bad knees from competing, you know, at a, at a high level in judo for 25 years or whatever and then got really into aikido but just like watching him his 
quality of movement was very, very impressive. Like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so I, it, it's something that I, I could definitely see myself uh, getting into. I feel like it's, you know, it's in the future, it's going to be like bird watching and fly fishing <laughs> like or something. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Surfing and, and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Well, when, when we get off the call here, send me your address. I'm gonna, I'll send you a copy of that book because I think, I think you would dig it. Okay. Um, and it's quick. It's like a little thin read. It's uh, but um, I don't know. There's some, there's some quality, there's some quality in there. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds awesome. great. Man, I'm, I'm really grateful that you like made the time to do this. I'm happy we figured this out. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I, uh, I look forward to, to making it back down in the city once things get rolling again. I don't know when that'll be happening or when I'll be able to make it again. Uh, things are a little up in the air for us, but we'll, uh, you know, at some point I'll make it back in to, to at least visit. Yeah, let me know. I mean, I, I, I've also like, it's been on my list to do classes with you too, you know, for a long time. I don't know if I've ever told you that, but uh, just, I know other students that have, have taken your movement classes and stuff. And it's like, just seems like something I would, you know, I'd like to do if I had the, if I had the time and, and yeah. opportunity. And, uh, well, I re well, I remember when we chatted the one, I think it must've been the first time because I remember feeling like, Oh, I should send you this fighting monkey website. And it, I forget what it was that you said that made me think that, but I was like, Oh, like you were, I knew you were thinking about things in a, uh, I don't want to say a different way, but in, in, in a large way. It was like very big picture. Yeah. I like to steal from other disciplines too. You know? Oh, me too. That's my favorite thing to do. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's even, Hey, even if I don't make it to the city at some point, if you ever want to hop on a zoom call, I'll, I'll, I'm happy to show you some stuff, especially when you're talking about some of the, the injuries you've been playing with. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. But definitely we'll powwow about breath work. And like I said, don't forget to send me your address. Cause I want to send you this. Uh, I'll send you this book. Okay. Right on. We'll do. Awesome, man. I'll talk to you later. Cool. Thank you. Later. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.